This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. All of us in our lives have people um, at work, in our families, neighbors perhaps, people who if we allow them to will drain the very life out of us. And we're talking about loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. How do you love people like that when, when everything, when that person, you see that person coming or whatever, you don't want to be around them because you just know how hard it is to love him, how hard it is to love her. What, how do you love them when everything within you wants to run and hide from them? You know, they're the ones that when, they, when your phone rings, you always look at caller ID before you pick up. You know what I mean? There are four, four types of people like that, and chances are uh, you have all four in your life right now. In fact, they might be sitting right beside you. I don't know. But uh, let's talk about who they are. First of all, there are difficult people. They're hard to get along with. They're unpleasable. They're cranky. They're irresponsible. They're immature. Maybe they have some kind of personality defect. You know, the lights are on, but nobody's home with these people. And, and, and maybe they're a little bit deficient in social skills, but whatever the reason, here, here's the, the main thing about the, about the difficult people. They're difficult because they're rude. You know any rude people? Don't shout any names out. But they're difficult because they're rude. It's hard to love obnoxious people, isn't it? Would you agree with me on that? Difficult people. A second group of people are demanding people. Demanding people have an agenda. They're aggressive, they're pushy, they manipulate others to get their own way. Whenever you're around, a de- how many of you are parents of, 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 a, of a teenage girl? Or whenever you're, around, whenever you're around a demanding person, you always feel a little bit manipulated. They're the ones that, you know, when they go out to eat and they, and they sit down at the lunch table and, and the waitress comes up and, and they want to order the special and the waitress says, I'm sorry, we just ran out of the special. They're the ones that say, I know my rights. You know, they're demanding. They always expect everybody to cater to them. Difficult people, demanding people, third are disappointing people. These are people, they, they don't always mean to hurt you, but... But sometimes they're actually well-intentioned. They just, they just let you down. They're promise breakers. They're unfaithful, disloyal, and you'll have them in your life. Then the fourth group of people are what we might call destructive people. And it's sad to say, but the truth is there is evil in this world, and there are hateful people, and there are people in this world who are double-dealing, who are deceitful, who mean to harm you, and they can be deadly. They can be disingenuous. They're dangerous. They can be debilitating, but they're in your life. So you have these four groups of people, and, and as I went through them, you probably, you know, in your mind, some image of somebody's face popped up in your, in your brain there as I went through those four. And you may say, I know people in all four of those groups. Maybe I just know one. But how do you respond in love to each of these groups of people? Well, one verse in the Bible tells us, the four ways that love deals with these four types of people. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Let's read it together, right? Would you read it with me? Love is not rude. Love does not demand its own way. 
Love is not irritable, and love keeps no record of when it has been wronged. There's the four ways right there. We're going to talk about those. Four ways about loving difficult people. Now, I want you to participate in a little survey right now for for me. Here's what I want you to do. And it's good that we're so full. This will make it really easy for us this morning. Uh, I want you to, in just a second, to turn to someone beside you. And I want you to say to that person, you know, the one thing that really bugs me, the one thing that I really find rude is when, now, and don't say when the pastor asked me to participate in the service and talk to a total stranger. But think of it, what is the one thing that you just really bugs you, the one rude thing that you just really gets to you, all right? And turn to the person next to you, and, and you say it to him, and she'll say it back to you, or you'll figure it out, all right? Ready, go. All right, just one now, just, just share one. Don't want a whole list. Okay, that's enough time. Some of you, I just ruined your morning. All right, now. The Bible says love is not rude. So first of all, this morning, how do I respond to these kinds of people? Number one, I must be tactful, not just truthful. I must be tactful, not just truthful. In other words, you don't return their rudeness. Remember when we were kids and we used to say when somebody said something mean to us or rude to us, we'd look back and we'd say, what you say is what you say is what you are. Like, I really hurt them, you know. You don't overcome evil with evil. The scripture tells us we overcome evil with good. You don't respond in kind. When people are difficult, you don't return the favor. One of the ways that you can be tactful is simply by listening to them first. You know why? They might have a point. It may come across to you initially as, well, that was a rude thing, but they might really have a point in what they have to say. So you listen lovingly and you respond lovingly. And listening, we talked about this last week, listening means not what? Interrupting. Let them say it. Listen to them. Interrupting is something, you know, that we teach our children not to do. You, you know, when they start learning how to talk and they want your attention all the time, and you're in a conversation, they come up to you and they, and, you know, every parent who, who's worth their you know, two cents in salt will say, you know, excuse me, no interrupting. All you parents have done that. We teach our children not to do that. Why? Because it's rude. We teach our children not to do that. Why? Because here's what the Bible says about it. Proverbs 18, 13. It's stupid and embarrassing to give an answer before you listen. Now, we all know that, don't we? To give an answer before I even listen to what's being said? But we do it sometimes. You see, we're rude when we jump to conclusions. We assume we know what other people think. But love listens. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Paul writes, stop being bitter and angry and mad at each other. Don't yell at one another. I was over at Nathan's house the other day, helping him work on some things in his house, and I heard some people outside yelling. I mean, out in the driveway. I said, what's going on with that? Oh, that's my neighbors. That's just the way they are. That's how they communicate. You know, that's the way they were brought up. Don't yell at one another or curse each other or ever be rude. Instead, 
Be kind and merciful and forgiving. Forgive others just as God forgave you because of Christ. Love listens and love is tactful. Now, I know there's nobody here in this room who ever yells or or whoever curses. I just, you know, but you know what? I'll just be honest with you. Profanity requires zero intelligence. Profanity is an indication of a limited vocabulary, of a lack of self-control. And if you don't have self-control, the scripture, according to Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, tells us that if you don't have self-control, that means God doesn't have control of you either. That's what profanity is all about. You know, you can't think of what to say. You lose your temper. So you, you, you say a cuss word. I'll, you know, I'll tell you what. I've been around Christian people who think nothing of using profanity. And every time I hear it, I go, what? what? It shocks me. Why? It's rude, dude. Has no place in our vocabulary as followers of Christ. And it's also, for you young men who are here this morning, cussing doesn't make you manly. You know, you may, you may not believe this, but before I found the right one, I dated a whole lot of girls. You're in utter shock by your... <laughs> and I never dated a young lady who said, hey, you know what, before I go out with you, I want you to show me how manly you are and cuss for me. I never had a girl do that. Any of you ladies ever do that, you know, with a prospective date? Before I go out with you, I want to, I want to see if you're a real man. Would you just cuss a, cuss a blue streak for me? You didn't do that. Why? That's stupid. It's not manly. It's not macho. It's just wrong. But we, see, we can excuse sometimes our verbal rudeness by saying, well, I wasn't being rude. I was just being frank. I was just saying what needed to be said. You need to ask yourself, why am I saying it this way? You need to ask yourself, did I say that just so I could let off some steam? Or am I saying it really for the benefit of the other person? Proverbs 16, 21 tells us, a wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more pleasant his words the more persuasive he is. You might write out there somewhere in your notes, maybe beside that verse reference, you might write this down. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. Here's what that means. Nagging doesn't work. Does it work on you? No, it doesn't work on me. I just, man, I can't stand it. So next, the Bible says this, love does not demand its own way. So number two, I must be understanding, not demanding. Understanding, not demanding. Jesus is the best example of this. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, Paul writes about him, and he writes to the Philippian church, and he says, hey, you know what? Your attitude should be the same that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. If anyone had the right on this earth to demand, it was Christ, but he didn't. 
One of the greatest tests of your character is how you treat the people who serve you. Do you remember the names, for example, of the people who serve you in different ways? I mean, they're, you know, the, the bank tellers and the, and the folks at the post office and the waitress in the restaurant, the cashier at the grocery store. Do you remember their names? When you do and you, and you call them by name, you know what you've just done for that person? You've, you've treated them with respect. And you're being understanding, not demanding. So here's my homework assignment for you this week. I want you to practice being understanding, not demanding. For example, if you go out today, maybe you go out to lunch after church, or you go to a store, I want you to be understanding and not demanding, um, realizing that that clerk, that, that cashier, that waitress who's there, they may be having a really rough day. You don't know what's gone on in their home yesterday or this week. You don't know what they're facing. You don't know what medical thing, problem they may be dealing with that they've got to face in the next couple. Of, you don't know what's going on with their life. So be demanding, excuse me, be understanding and not demanding. Practice that. And, and by the way, where is the best place to practice your homework? Y'all are, you're sharp. You got that extra hour of sleep. It's at home. At home, does, does anybody, I know you do, but does anybody else notice that you can say the meanest things, the most impolite things to the very people who are closest to you? Have you figured that out? Shouldn't be like that, should it? Titus chapter 3, verse 2 says, Believers shouldn't curse anyone or be quarrelsome, but they should be gentle and show courtesy to everyone. What is courtesy? Definition of courtesy is courtesy is showing love in little things. A lot of marriages die from a lack of courtesy. You ever watch Everybody Loves Raymond? Anybody ever watch that show? You know how his parents treat one another in that show? There's no courtesy there. I mean, they're married, but their marriage died a long time ago. There's no, there's no courtesy. They're, they're always digging at each other. How do you become more understanding of the people who are demanding in your life? Well, how do you do that, Rick? Well, the Bible tells us that patience, and that's what you need with demanding people, patience comes with wisdom. That the more you understand about the person, the more patient you're going to be with them. I'm impatient with people I don't understand. But I can be real patient with people that I know some things about them. I'm, you know, you, you, you tend to be more patient with, with those maybe, like with little children. You're more patient with them because you understand they're not really that mature yet to act perhaps like you expect them to or to think like you would like. So before you get sharp and short with anyone, you need to ask yourself, do I know their background? Do I know the battles they're going through right now? Do I know the burdens they're carrying? That's going to make you, you start thinking about those things, a lot more courteous to other people. Love is understanding, not demanding. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. It's his glory to overlook an offense. Do you ever overlook offenses or are you always offended by offenses? 
Are you so touchy and irritable that anybody who looks at you crosswise or forgets to say something to you or walks past you and didn't see you, does that get you offended? The Bible says it's a glory to a man or woman's character to overlook an offense. Love lets it go. And while we're talking about this, this is also what we call the golden rule. You probably learned the golden rule when you were little. It's a quote from Jesus, a great thing to remember. But Jesus said in Luke 6, 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. Treat other people like you'd like to be treated. In being understanding and not demanding, you do to others what you would have them do to you. How would I like somebody to treat me in this situation? Well, here's the key. We need to be tender without surrender. And being understanding. Be tender without surrender. You don't just let people push you, just push you around. Jesus never caved in to manipulators. He had them all around him. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, they were always trying to manipulate Jesus. They're always trying to trick him with something, to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, and, and always scheming in that way against him. He didn't cave into them. They were extremely demanding. They were very legalistic. They had all kinds of demands that they themselves couldn't even keep. But Jesus wouldn't let other demanding people push him into a corner, yet he was tender without surrender. That's what you call love in action. The third thing the Bible says is that love is not irritable. So number three, I must be gentle not judgmental. Gentle and not judgmental. This week in, in our devotional book by Tom Holliday, we're going to, you're going to be reading all this week. Today is day 22. And you're going to be reading all this week about how to do this, how to be gentle without being judgmental. Well, let's see what the scriptures have to say this morning. Uh, get us started on about being gentle and not judgmental. Galatians 6.1 this popped up in, in, in the group that I'm in yesterday, and this, this first came out in what we're talking about and confronting folks. Brothers and sisters, if someone in your group does something wrong, let me just put in there, insert in there, especially your pastor. Brothers and sisters, if someone in your group does something wrong, you who are spiritual should go to that person and gently help him make it right again. But be careful, Why? Because you might be tempted to sin too. How do you have tough conversations with people in a gentle way? How do you confront people you love when you see they're doing something they shouldn't be doing? The Bible tells us you've got to do it gently, not harshly, not in a rude or mean way, but you do it with gentleness and respect. Colossians 3.13 the Bible says, put up with each other and forgive anyone who does you wrong, just as Christ has forgiven you. Whatever grievances you've had, you can't be selective about this. Well, I'll forgive that, but I won't forgive this. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Proverbs 15.4 says, gentle words bring life and health. A deceitful tongue Crushes the spirit. Kind words. Sometimes that's all it takes. Kind words. 
that will heal and help. You speak words of life and health and hope into them, not words of judgment and harshness. So be gentle. But how do you, how, how do you, Rick, how do you, how do you love people who intentionally hurt? I mean, they meant to hurt you. They did it on purpose. How do you love people like that who are mean? People who are hurtful, we call them destructive people. They're manipulative. When people hurt us, we have two natural tendencies. Typically, this is what we do. First, we remember it. We stockpile it in our minds. We put it back in the database. And we say, I'm never forgetting about that one. I'm never letting them off the hook. I'm going to watch them from now on. We remember it. We rehearse it over and over and over. A second thing we do, not only do we remember, but the second thing that we typically do, naturally do, when we're hurt, is we retaliate. I want to get even. I want to pay back. But that's not what the Bible says for us to do. The Bible doesn't say get even. The Bible says love takes a step up. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. What does that mean? How do I respond to all those people who have hurt me in my life? How do I handle all those wounds and all those pains and all those hurts that I've been stockpiling and rehearsing and remembering and thinking of ways to get back at them? How do I not go there? Here's what you do. You don't repeat it. You delete it. Everybody knows what the delete button is for. Sometimes we hit the delete button when we didn't mean to, don't we? But you don't delete it. You don't repeat it. You delete it. You let it go. You forgive it. You forgive it, and you get on with your life. You don't repeat it. Typically, when we get hurt, how do we repeat things? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me throw three ways that we repeat things in our lives when we get hurt. First of all, we repeat it emotionally in our minds. Emotional, emotionally, I mean, it, it, it gets us down and then we bring it back up and it gets us down again and it causes, we even cry about it and, and, or we get angry about it again all over and over and over. We repeat it emotionally in our minds. The second way we repeat is that we repeat it relationally as a weapon. And we either avoid the person or we tell other people what that person's done to me, so they think evil of them as well. Repeat it relationally. And the third way we repeat it is practically and verbally as we tell those other people. Let other people know. First, we repeat it in our mind by going over and over and over again. And every time that we do, every time you bring it back up, you know what happens? It hurts all over again. It's emotional suicide. When you hold on to a hurt, here's the reality. When you hold on to a hurt, you're not hurting that person from your past. Who are you hurting? You're hurting yourself. In fact, you're allowing that person that did something in your past to continue to hurt you in the present. But your past is past. It's over. And it can't hurt you, hear me, unless you choose 
to allow it to hurt you. And the way you allow it to hurt you is by remembering it over and over and over. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says, Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. Don't remember it. Don't repeat it. Delete it. The second way we repeat it is, is in relationally, in fights, in relationships. We use it what we use what's been done in the past. We use it as a weapon. You know, well, you did this to me, and you did that. Well, remember what you did to get it started? But you did this, and you just keep piling it all back up again. Proverbs 17.9. Read this with me. This is a great verse. Read this verse with, with me. You will keep your friends if you forgive them, but you will lose your friends if you keep talking about what they did wrong. It parts marriages. It parts all kinds of relationships, friendships, everything else. Nagging doesn't work. Now, if you've been hurt in your marriage, especially in a major way, and, and you say, yeah, but, but I've forgiven him, I've forgiven her, yet you keep bringing it back up, or you make it clear to that person, I just want you to understand, we will never be the same. You will never measure up. And you keep bringing that stuff up, and even though you say you're forgiven, you know what you're doing? You are killing your marriage. It's not the big sin that happened in the past that's killing the marriage. It's the fact that you won't let it go. The third way we repeat it is we repeat it to other people. We tell everybody else. We don't talk to God. We don't talk to to that person. We talk to everyone else about the pain. We want to try to line up all our friends and all our neighbors and all our coworkers and everybody in the world that knows us. I want to line them all up on my side. So that makes me look like the better person and makes them look like the bad person. And so that he or she or they are hated as much by other people as they're hated by us. One of the greatest tests of your love, and we've talked about this now for the last, at least the last week, maybe the last two weeks, is how much you gossip. Unloving people love to gossip. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 24, said, whenever you stand praying, if you have something, anything against anyone, forgive him. And let it drop. Leave it. Let it go. Why? In order that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. Remember what Jesus prayed in that prayer that followed this in the next chapter in Matthew? He said, Father, forgive us our sins as we do what? Forgive those who have sinned against us. If you've been badly hurt (coughs) or even abused in your past, and many of you have, God doesn't expect you to ignore it. He doesn't expect you to pretend it doesn't exist. He doesn't expect you to just put on the happy face all the time when inside your guts are being wrenched because of what's happened to you. 
He's not asking you to gloss it over or deny it or repress it or fake it or make excuses for the people who've hurt you in your life. In fact, God doesn't want you to fake it. He wants you to face it because you cannot forgive it until you face it. And you will never be free until you forgive and you'll never forgive until you face it. So you've got to stop running. You've got to stop blaming. But let me take this one just a little bit deeper. How you relate to your parents affects every other single relationship in your life, whether you realize it or not. We pull relationship patterns that we've learned growing up, that we've gotten in family. We pull those relationship patterns into our other existing relationships. And we often carry a lot of emotional, relational baggage into our friendships, into our marriages, into everything else. And that affects every other relationship, including our relationship to God. There are some people you try as a Christian to to share Christ with and try to witness to them about Jesus and you speak to them about a loving Heavenly Father. And immediately the wall goes up because the only father they've ever known mistreated them, abused them, wronged them, was cruel. And if God is a father, I don't want a father because the only father I ever knew was horrible. Our relationships with our parents translate into every other relationship that we have. And the truth is that some of you who are here this morning, growing up, you were really hurt as kids, maybe even by your parents. And you have some unfinished business if you're going to be the loving woman, the loving man that God wants you to be. And that you want to be. And you're going to have to deal with these past issues now. But you're going to have to take care of some business first if you're going to deal with them. Because the truth is, You carried a bunch forward, and now what's happening in your life is you're venting on your husband, you're venting on your wife, you're venting on your kids, and they're not even at fault. They're not the ones who caused the pain, but if you're still angry at a parent, and for that matter, anyone else, you are allowing that person, mom, dad, whoever it was in your past, you're allowing them to control you. And I want to say to you, don't. As your pastor, as your, as your friend, I'm saying don't allow that anymore. You've got to deal with that anger. You've got to face it before you can forgive it. So stop blaming and stop running. If there was any, anybody in the Bible, I would say, who, who had a good excuse for being angry in this world, it would have been a man named Job. Don't you think? If you know Job's story, Job had every, I mean, he lost everything. Everything was taken away from his his children, his health, his lands. It was all taken away from him. And Job had every excuse to be angry. But Job 18 verse 4 says this. Hey, you know what? You're only hurting yourself with your anger. This last verse this morning 
that I want to share is, is, this is our memory verse, by the way, for this coming week. I hope that you'll remember it. It's so simple. It says simply this, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Maybe, just maybe this morning, that mountain that you need Jesus to remove that's there in your way is that issue you're having with that difficult, demanding person. And you would say, Lord, the mountain is my inability to love him, to love her, to forgive. I'm learning over and over again this series, the thing that is is grasping my heart is that we have got to understand that love is not a feeling. Once we get beyond that, then we can really truly discover what God's love is all about. It's not a feeling. It's much, much more than that. Would you have a seat? I don't know who you need to forgive, but I do know today is the day that you need to do that. Would you just for a moment bow your head with me and close your eyes? And as we close, I want you to think of the people who've hurt you in your life. I believe God's saying to us today, let them off the hook. Love lets it go. Love forgives. Because they deserve the forgiveness? No. You don't deserve being forgiven. I don't deserve being forgiven by God either. But that's why it's called grace. But forgive, let it go, because it's the right thing to do and the only way for you to be free. All three of those are destructive, damaging, self-defeating. Don't repeat it. Delete it. Because love keeps no record of wrongs. Heavenly Father, your, your word today is really getting close to our hearts. And so many people, Lord, we, we just don't know how to handle folks that are difficult, are destructive in their lives. But you've given us your word, and you've given us the instructions, you've given us your spirit, you've given us yourself to empower us to be able to do the right thing. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wonder if you would say this morning, um, by raising your hand, Rick, today God has really burdened my heart, put it on my heart that there's somebody I've got to forgive and I've got to let it go. And I've been allowing whatever happened in the past that that person did to control me. I've been rehearsing it. I've been repeating it. I've been retaliating maybe. But today I'm saying, God, I'm going to forgive. And right now I do. You just slip your hand up in the air. Nobody's looking but God and me. Wow, lots of hands. Sure. Thank you. God bless you. Lord, Help us to be forgiving people because your son modeled that for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.